Hello and welcome. I'm Mark Bassingthwaite, the Risk Manager here at Alps, and you're about to listen to the latest episode of Alps in Brief, the podcast that comes to you from the historic Florence building in beautiful downtown Missoula, Montana. I've been thinking of late uh, about estate planning issues, uh, you know, for for as long as I can remember uh, in terms of looking at the national data. Estate planning has uh, always been in the top five practice areas of concern. Now, it's never hit one or two, but uh, it has certainly uh, been in that four and five range for for quite a long time. So it's a a practice area that that if you are practicing, you should be concerned about. And I, I've, I've had some lawyers uh, visit with me and say, you know, what, what are you, we seeing? What should we be concerned about? Uh, claims attorneys are certainly saying, hey, you know, we've got some problems. Um, and so I thought it'd be uh, worthwhile just spending a little time trying to uh, issue spot perhaps for you to, to give you some things to keep in the back of your mind about what, what should I uh, be focused on in terms of just trying to avoid uh, some of the, the common uh, missteps that occur in the estate planning arena. Now let me start with a, a, a bit of perhaps a hypo or a short, a short question. If a law firm represents um, uh, two adults, they are a brother and sister, and they have handled various uh, legal issues for one or the other uh, over the years. And then these two bring in a uh, bring in their elderly parents for the purposes of having an estate plan uh, drawn up. Kids are going to pay for it. Uh, Mom and dad have never been previously represented. Who's the client? And you know, it, it, there's. It, 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 one is tempted to say immediately it, it's it's the parents, and uh, I, I think that's probably the way it should play. But the issue becomes, you know, what do the individuals involved believe? You know, we are seeing uh, a number of claims in the estate area where the insured believes the client is one person or, or a couple or something here, you know, in the estate planning uh, setting. Uh, but the beneficiaries see it differently. And and the our insurers are really are not documenting and, and clarifying this issue with everybody to make sure that uh, the, the role of the attorney is clear. Uh, so I, I encourage you, whenever you are involved in the estate planning process, to upfront determine who your client is and document accordingly. But every bit as important is as you go forth in the representation, um, if there are interactions with others, potential benefit, or I should say you know, actual beneficiaries here, uh, the kids in this example, you know, they are still likely to be involved and may have some discussions and whatnot, just checking in. Uh, they're paying the bills. You know, we need to make sure that there's not some confusion evolving. And if you ever see uh, or have an experience, uh, hear something that says uh, that there might be some confusion about just uh, what your role is, uh, I, I strongly encourage you to stop and take a moment to clarify and, and, and document how to brief discussion with uh, the, the two kids or whatever it might be. Uh, role clarity and, and really documenting who your client is, is can be so, so beneficial. The next area that I'd like to talk about is just 
perhaps dabbling, perhaps getting a a little bit in over your head. Uh, We have seen in recent times a fair number of claims um, where the insured uh, attorney, obviously, has uh, erred in setting up a Medicaid trust. They just have trouble structuring these. And then uh, there's not the communication piece, for instance, uh, with client that you must give up control and understand all the issues that are in play when, when you uh, go in this direction. Um, you know, that that's not thoroughly documented. So I guess it brings up two things. You know, again, don't dabble uh, if, if, if there is uh, a portion of estate planning work, Medicaid trust is being the, the example here, that you really uh, aren't an expert on, uh, you know, go out and get some help with that, politely decline, um, you know, but don't don't wing it. Shooting from the hip uh, is, is in, in any practice area, is never going to turn out well. But I also like this piece of, of saying, you know, you really need to make sure the client understands the legal ramifications uh, understands exactly what's happening here uh, and and that's that's very very important and how about just the, the misstep that occurs now and again you know it's a drafting error it's a typo you know I- at times we see situations where the interest in a will did not add up to 100 percent that there are inconsistencies in various sections of a document uh, there's a failure to include a residuary clause. Uh, there's ambiguities about which person or asset is being referenced. It gets back to just saying, look, folks, slow down, take some time, proofread. You know, I know it's easy to cut and paste and, and work with other documents, uh, you know, from a prior estate plan or something and just change. But and, and that's fine. I can appreciate the time saving steps that go into play here. But, you know. If you make mistakes, it, taking these, these, and I, w- I don't mean shortcuts in the sense that we're short circumventing, we're, 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 it, it's fine to try to be as efficient as possible, but it, it's not an excuse to say, well, I don't have to read thoroughly and make sure the numbers are correct, that, that this makes sense. You know, maybe even having another person in the office read through to make sure, hey, are you catching anything? Because sometimes two sets of eyes are certainly better than one. So just a thought. The next topic I'd like to to share is uh, we are seeing challenges uh, by beneficiaries um, to wills or or trust, challenging the intent of the testator. Um, And sometimes even when there's an error made and it has nothing to do with intent, the the error that's been in there is sort of this opportunity uh, to to challenge some things uh, in terms of intent. Um, You know, what I, what I want to say here is, you know, let's say it's uh, somebody's being disinherited and, and they want to challenge that. You know, if, if we have not documented the file in terms of, you know, the advice, yeah, I, I say this in all kinds of contexts, the advice being given the decision-making process, you know, we can have some problems if something is challenged down the road. So it'd be very important to, to really document the whys behind the client is wanting to do what they're doing, whatever it might be. So I, I, another key piece of documentation, but this disinherited kind of uh, situation raises another um, warning sign or, or, or perhaps another practice tip. I see that as, as a potential red flag. Uh, 
And there are times where, obviously, we all know this, that testamentary capacity can be an issue. And one red flag is is somebody being disinherited. You start to think, is there undue influence here or just what's going on? So let's talk a little bit about testamentary capacity as well. The issue is important because, you know, sometimes the allegations are that an attorney breaches standard of care or fiduciary duty by failing to adequately assess a client's capacity. So what what does this mean in terms of the, the uh, capacity? Um, you know, you might think about asking open-ended questions um, and, and understand that the individual, you know, we're, we're not physicians uh, and we're not, there's no requirement that this person be, you know, uh, have an IQ of 168. You know, this isn't, it's, there has to be a baseline, but we have to make sure that the person is at this baseline. And, and, you know, so, so what is that baseline? And I start to think about things, you know, fully understand, you know, you're asking yourself this, does, does the client fully understand the nature of making a will and the effects that his or her decisions uh, will have in terms of the will-making process or, or the trust-making process. Uh, this individual needs to understand the nature and the extent of the property of which he or she is distributing to heirs uh, or to trust or, or you know, charitable entities. Um, the individual should have no mental disorder that, that would affect or damage uh, the decision-making process. Um, obviously, they shouldn't be under the influence of, of uh, drugs or alcohol, those kinds of things. And they, they really shouldn't be subject to any undue influence. And, and we need to, to, to make sure, you know, sometimes so taking a person into a, a private room for, for a conversation can help with that a little bit. But, you know, it, it's asking open-ended questions, um, even, you know, who, who's, who's the vice president? Um, you know, and just some general kinds of things just to make sure. And then ask some questions about, you know, what they're doing financially here, what their wishes are. And, but, but, again, open-ended questions help you determine whether they have the, the mental acuity to really uh, proceed here. So, but then on top of that, you know, there can be some red flags, you know, if this is a deathbed change um, and the disinherited uh, situation, somebody being disinherited could be another potential red flag. If there's a lot of fighting going on in the family, if someone is is bringing the person in, um, you know, a family member or somebody or even a a non-family member, which I've, I've seen more than a few times, um, you know, they're trying to influence and push you know I've, I've cared for my neighbor all these years and she wants me to have you know her home and what you know these are red flags and we may want to go even a little further than just asking some questions and of course documenting all of this but uh, you know if, if the red flags are there i'm really gonna take some extra notes i, I start to think about video recording the signing um, you might even have a physician uh, document uh, that the you know they've gone through uh, with this individual an exam and the person does seem to have uh, uh, the mental capacity to, to uh, proceed here. And then 
depending on how significant these red flags are, I also sit and say, you know, do you really want to be the one that's putting a, uh, a target on your chest? I start to think maybe this is where I, I want to step out or bow out and terminate the representation, you know, because, you know, again, just because you can move forward doesn't mean it's a good idea, especially if there's a real high risk that you're going to be pulled into some subsequent litigation and somebody might start to take a shot or try to take a shot at your malpractice uh, policy as part of this process. The, the final thing that I would toss out there uh, is, is sort of the... Uh, the, the limited scope piece, um, you know, which can come up sometimes you know, as lawyers, we're choosing to, to limit our scope, but it, at other times it can be uh, client-driven limitations. But uh, let, let me give you an example of, of where I'm going with this. And it is, you know, su- suppose um, I'll make myself the client and I- I've got some money, you know, I mean, I'm not a Bill Gates, but, you know, I've got more than a couple of million put away and I, I keep this money pretty tight. You know, it's, 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 it's you know, it's sort of one of those, how much is enough? And it's not quite, I'm almost there. But when I spend, uh, you know, I like to, to, uh, to spend on the best. So I, you know, I like to drink a fine wine now and again, and I, I have a very nice car out uh, in front of the house. And, and I want the best attorney uh, in the estate planning arena to take care of me as I set up uh, a, a trust. And so I go out and I hire you. And, uh, you know, you're the, the big name in, in the whole region, and, and I'm excited about that. But again, I want to hold some money close to my ta- chest. So uh, I, I will hire you to, uh, to draft all these documents, but I am certainly uh, more than capable of funding all this, and, and I don't want to spend, uh, have to spend uh, the, the money that, that in terms of it's going to take you time and effort to do all this. I'll take care of it. Well, what happens down the road if you agree to do that? Uh, so you draft all this stuff off, and away I go. I have my documents, but I, I never get the trust funded, uh, or I, uh, it's incompletely funded, or so some of the documents that I'm signing here are, aren't correct in terms of, so it, it's not properly funded. Um, and then I sue you. And, and my, you know, the, the, the whole allegation is, is I have not been fully advised of the ramifications here. You see where I'm going? You know, so um, I want you to think about the the importance of documenting scope thoroughly uh, and putting the parameters around. I am going to do this. I am not going to do that. But one of the things that is confusing at times, I think for some lawyers, is, is there's this assumption. Well, because I am able to limit my scope, surely I must be able to limit my advice. And I don't see anything in any ethics opinions or in the rules that say that's how this plays. Uh, and, and in the malpractice world, I assure you, um, you, you, you can't limit your advice um, in, in this setting. So, you know, if you are going to, to limit your scope, Please, first off, thoroughly document that and then make sure that the client is fully advised uh, about the, you know, their piece. This is what they need to do. 
you know, and, and this, this advice, it actually isn't even limited to just limited scope representation. It can play out in full, uh, the full service model as well. But, you know, when clients still have things to do that are related to the work that you were doing, the matter that you have just finished your piece on or just concluded, they need to be advised and you should be clear or thorough in documenting that you've had this conversation or you, you've sent a letter out or you can do this via email. I mean, it doesn't really matter to me how you get there, but we need some documentation they have advised so they can't turn around and say, well, this is your fault that I was wrong. I didn't realize that this thing had to be funded. I mean, you know, it could be that crazy. Um, and, and please understand, you know, it doesn't matter that, uh, you know, whether the claim turns out to be this, uh, very viable claim with a large loss or not. The allegations are there. Defense uh, is in play at a minimum, and there there may be some losses. We're just going to have to look and see, you know, what does the documentation look like in a file. So, uh, what are some of the takeaways with all this? I just want to review briefly. You know, again, please make sure that you are clear in your head and that with any individuals you are dealing with. Um, who the client is, and at times we need to document to who the client is not, and then stay the course. It is very important to document scope of representation and, and make sure that clients are fully advised if you are limiting your um, represent or your scope to some fashion, and if there are any additional things that they need to do beyond your representation, their advice about the legal ramifications of, of what they need to do, and, and if they fail to do something. Uh, there is real value in proofreading, uh, checking your documents for these typos and the drafting errors. You know, we there really shouldn't be any internal inconsistencies. It really needs to be clear. Um, you know, I struggle with this in my own writing. I, I will go through and, I, you know, it makes perfect sense to me. But unfortunately, down the road, I'm not the one going to be interpreting this. Uh, so, you know, it's read it from try to read it from that perspective. Is this clear to somebody else who would be reading this? Um, and then, you know, if you have any of these red flags, uh, any concerns about uh, um, testamentary capacity, I, I encourage you to address that in, in responsible ways, and we've discussed some of those. So uh, that's a little quick rundown on estate planning uh, concerns and, and what's happening in, in the uh, malpractice space. I, I hope uh, something here uh, will prove useful to you, and I uh, appreciate your taking a little time to, to listen in. Uh, as always, if any of you have any additional thoughts or ideas about uh, who you'd like to hear or a topic you'd like discussed uh, on the podcast, uh, direction you'd like to see it go, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, even if you just have a question you want to talk I, i'd love to visit with you so uh, my email address is m bass m b a s s at alps insurance a l p s insurance one word dot com that's it folks hey stay safe out there have a great one again thanks for listening bye bye